we are doing this, uh, this new kind of short series on resurrection stories. We've already seen uh, the, some of the Old Testament stories, and now we're transitioning to the New Testament. The New Testament resurrection stories. And today we're going to see Jesus engaging in spiritual battle with death itself. There's this kind of, I don't know, almost like cowboy face down, all right, that either, either it's, it's Jesus or death and who is going to win. And as they, these two groups face each other, uh, we get to see Jesus and see, okay, how does he battle death? And, and how does he bring all of his power to bear in resurrection power? So uh, we're going to see that this kind of showdown that's taking place. We're going to see Jesus' resurrection power. We're going to see the resulting glory. And we're going to see that this is, this is the battle that's being fought for each one of us. And that as we follow Jesus, we are proclaiming that Jesus is our great victor, that he has resurrection power, that he alone can save. And we look to him in all of his strength. And so uh, let me pray, and we will uh, look at the subject this morning. Let's pray. Father, in you is life. You breathe life into man, and it is in you that we live and move and have our being. And Father, we know that in all of our sin, we have brought death upon ourselves. We are under judgment. And Father, we have this great enemy. And that as a result, there are, there are sorrows and there are trials and hardships. And Father, we need someone to come fight for us. We need someone with great power to come close and to deliver us. Father, we ask that we would ever be looking to Jesus Christ. That we would not rest upon our own power. That we would not look to to find victory in our own wisdom or our own ability, but that we'd look to Jesus, that we'd listen to him and we'd proclaim him as our great victor, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we're looking at Luke 7, verses 11 through 17 this morning. And so if you want to turn there, uh, that could be helpful in just getting, getting your bearing a little bit. This is just following uh, one of the Many miraculous healings that Jesus did. Uh, he delivered a, a servant of uh, a great centurion just because, just by, by speaking. And so we have this crowd that is following Jesus, kind of basking in the glow of this great miracle. And so, verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. All right. We can maybe start to, we can start to imagine the, the tone of this crowd. This crowd, as they follow Jesus, who is doing all of these amazing and wonderful things, he is their leader, and they, they joyfully follow him. As he goes forward and is, is healing and seems to have in him such life and such joy. It's like this, this parade of, of life and, and peace until they come face to face with just the opposite. Verse 12. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. 
All right. So we have this town, and as Jesus and his followers make their way up in great joy and life and victory, here comes down out of the town of Nain an equally considerable crowd. Now, what would this have looked like? I think first, what would it have sounded like is probably the first question. All right, this is not a culture with stiff upper lips. This is ancient Near Eastern. They understood death, and they, they didn't have to be stoics about it. And so you would have heard the crowd, a considerable crowd, and they would have not have held back their weeping and wailing and crying out to God. People amass because this is an un, unusually sorrowful death. That this young one who has untimely died and the result, his widowed mother. Now she no doubt would have been the loudest. As she follows her one and only son. She is mourning, mourning him, of course. But she's also mourning her life as well. That as now the, the widowed, completely widowed woman that she was, she'd be utterly destitute. She'd have nothing left to stand on. She would be now kind of forced to, to throw herself upon whatever mercy might come to her. But she has no way of providing for herself. Her life, just like the life of her son, is effectually over. And so you have this, these two meetings as this one of great joy in life and this other of great death and sorrow and mourning. And they come together today and they are facing off. The battle lines are drawn. Jesus at the head of one and at the head of, head of the other, death. Death and all of the ramifications of death. Now we ask, where are we in the story? Where are you in this story? Where, where do you find yourself? Now maybe you're among the crowd of followers of Jesus. And you feel this charge to, to follow him in great joy and in the proclamation of the gospel. I think of 2 Corinthians 2.14. It says this, Paul saying, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. This beautiful picture of what it looks like to be a follower, to, to follow Jesus and to be delivered out of captivity and now to be following him in great joy and triumph and in victory. And they're spreading the aroma of Christ and the message of Jesus. But as you go out into the world, you are going to encounter obstacles to this triumphal march. Sorrow and death and suffering. And what do we do when we face those things? Does the party stop? Does the are you completely humbled? Are you discouraged? Or are doubts come? What happens when you're supposed to be full of joy and yet you meet these great sorrows? Where do you look? Or maybe, maybe you're not following Christ. You're not in that vein. Maybe you're more so in the crowd of the mourners. And that as you look out upon the world, you see the sorrow and tragedy and death. And 
Maybe it's not happening directly to you, but you feel the effects of it. And you join in the mourning, and you don't see a lot of other options but to mourn. And this kind of weight bears upon you. Or maybe, maybe you are the widow this morning. The widow who is basically seeing all of her hopes and dreams die and being led down this path of darkness and death and sorrow. And you don't know where else to go. There's, and yet, here's Jesus before you. Now, some of you, you're not, you're not seeing yourself in this story. Uh, you will be here one day. We all find ourselves at one of these places. And the question is, okay, what, who is Jesus in these moments? How does he come to us? How do we look to him? What does it look like for Jesus to, to meet us in all of these places? And finally, I remind you that eventually, eventually we have been in that final spot. We will be the one who is being mourned. We will be the one carried out. Who will Jesus be then? And with all that, okay, what, what does Jesus do? He comes and he meets his people with resurrection power. But first, he has these two responses that seem kind of strange. Verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Do not weep. Now this is a, this is a great kind of strange juxtaposition that Jesus both shows great compassion and yet he gives this seemingly impossible commandment. And it's the nice thing about Jesus is that, unlike most people, he does both. First, he has compassion. Or what is compassion? Compassion is to be with the person in their suffering and in their grief and in their sorrow. And you can choose to put kind of this emotional wall up, or in compassion you can kind of push through it and let yourself feel all the things that they feel to enter into the, the world of sorrow. And that is what Jesus does. Jesus enters into the sorrow of this widowed woman, seeing all of the, the sorrow that she feels now and that this kind of extends into the future. And this is, uh, this is a characteristic of Jesus. Sometimes we have trouble really thinking, okay, what, what was Jesus like? One of the things he was like, he was compassionate. He willingly enters into the sorrows of his people. And even those who are not, not his people. But he wishes were, were and he, he, he calls. Right, this makes sense. In, think, of the, think of the incarnation. Jesus is, is, like his whole life on earth was characterized by this entering into the suffering and sorrows and, and weaknesses of his people. He is the very embodiment of, of compassion, standing and living and breathing among us. He is God's compassion like in a package while he is on earth. And he's experiencing the suffering and the weakness and the, even the grief 
and death alongside of his people. That is just who Jesus is. It is who he is and it's what he does. But he does the second thing too. He has great compassion and then he gives these great commandments. What does he say? He says, do not weep. Do not weep. Which seems like a a fairly cold-hearted commandment after showing these great, great compassion. That if he really understands how much suffering she's been through, he knows that she has every reason to weep. He knows that, that her life is over. He knows that, that this is not seemingly the kind thing to say to this woman. But he is not just this God who incarnates. He's also this God who teaches. And throughout Jesus' whole time on earth, he teaches his people and says things that don't seem to make sense and says things that are the opposite of how we think it ought to be. He says things like, uh, like, love your enemies and pray for them. He says things like, if someone slaps you on the face, turn your other cheek and let them slap you on the other. I taught a bunch of kids about that the other day. They didn't like that. They were shocked. <laughs> what? Uh, he says that, that we should seek the good of other people before the good of ourselves. He says that we should rejoice in all things, that we should pick up our crosses. All right, why? In all of his compassion, why would he say these things to us? He says these things because he is changing the world. He is changing the way things work. He is making a kingdom where this is the correct and normal response. That this is just the way the world works now. And what he's doing, he's telling that woman not to weep because she doesn't have a reason to weep anymore. He is calling her to faithfully act in accordance with a new world and a new kingdom that he is able to bring. And he does that to us daily. To live by faith and to follow the commandments of a world that, that we cannot see yet. Before we see the resurrection. Before we see the reason why we should stop weeping, he tells us to stop. Now, I, I tell us of these two things because oftentimes, as followers of Jesus, we often have one or the other. Sometimes we have great compassion. And we can, there's, there's hard-on-your-sleeve kind of people. And you can enter in and feel the depth of the sorrow and, and be with them and cry with them and weep with them and be hopeless with them. But you're equally crippled by the things that sorrow them. You're with them, but you can't, you can't provide a way out. And as you feel the weight of it, you are crushed as well. Or there's other people. There's other people who are good at offering the commandments, but they, they stand like this far away to do it. <laughs> right? Because the commandments are safe, and they're the right answer. But if they actually feel everything first, it doesn't feel like the right answer, and it, it's too hard. And so you have people who are either 
entering in but can't do something, or just kind of lobbing these like vague truths from far away. God loves you. Everything's fine. He's in control. Now, Jesus can do both. And if you are the widowed woman today, like, believe in the God who does both. Who draws really close, who knows and who feels. And also know that there's this one who, who really does call you to live according to a new world. Will you see that, Jesus? Will you receive that, Jesus? Are you willing to be met with that, Jesus? Who can enter in and then change your world? For those of you who are called to follow Jesus, please fight for both of these things to be true of you. That you would feel the depth of the sorrow and be able to offer great hope. Now let's keep going. Jesus, he, he feels it, he, he teaches on it, and finally he, he does something about it. Verse 14. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Jesus makes a new world where the only thing that makes sense is to stop weeping. That's how he could offer those, those realities, those solutions. He could say those things because he had the power in himself to turn weeping into joy, to utterly change life and, or death into life. These are not just vague truths. These are the things said out of power by our great king. Now, last week, Steve, he reminded us that to feel the weight of these things, right? These are not fairy tales. This story did not start with once upon a time, right? There are no giant beanstalks or pumpkins turning into carriages. Like, that is not how this story is told. We have to feel the weight of this being, being the historical account of someone who in that time was a great historian, and was going about hearing the eyewitness accounts of people speaking of this Jesus. And you have to let the, the weight of this story like, press upon you. Right. There are two great crowds of people who saw this happen. And we have to explain it. Maybe you could say, well, uh, may, maybe, maybe the kid wasn't actually dead. Do you think that widowed woman would not have made sure that her, 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 her son is alive? Or do you think that the crowd would have all misseen it? And like, oh, it was a trick of the light. Oh, they didn't, they didn't really see it correctly. Like, you think they wouldn't, wouldn't understand that this guy came back from the dead? This weeping, wailing crowd and this widow who was broken, that she would not... That the only thing that could have happened is that he would have come back to life? What else would have changed the, the tone of this crowd? 
Do you think the town of Nain would have put up with a bunch of crazy people making up a story about them and going and saying, hey, this happened there when no one had seen it? No. They would not have gone along with the story. This not, wouldn't, wouldn't have spread that. All right. Do you believe this is a real story? And if it is, then what does that mean for Jesus? What, about, what does that mean about this one? What does this mean about the reality of, of life and death? There's, there's someone in this story that you will never be. All right. You could be the dead person. You could be the mourner. You could be the mourning crowd. You could be the followers of Jesus. You will never be the one who can resurrect from the dead. You are not Jesus. You will never be Jesus. And my hope is that you, you see the weight of that. There is one person who can conquer death and who can bring life. We either follow him and proclaim him, or we reject him and turn away from him. But if we're doing that, we're doing that because we have seen him and we don't want to part in that. There is one Jesus, there is one Savior, there is one who commands life, there is one who has resurrection power. It is Jesus Christ. Now, uh, we could leave this story as it is, and we could simply say, you know what, there, there is this one who can, who can bring you back to life, who can raise people from the dead. All right, that would be an incomplete story. This is not the final story, because this is not the, the real problem. Jesus could have run around all, to, all the time and just resurrecting people from the dead, and you know what would have happened to them? They would all die again. And they would die again and again and again. Because the problem wasn't death itself. All right, death, we say that's like the, the last enemy that always wins in the end. All right, there's a first enemy too. And the first enemy is sin. The one behind all of death. And the one who, the reason that death exists, the consequence of sin is death. And so as you read this story, we also want to see a picture of the gospel. We want to see that, okay, Jesus needed to correct something. He had power to do it, but he needed to get deeper. He had resurrection power, but he had to kill the, the thing at the root, the sin which is destroying all things. And we realize, okay, Jesus comes closer than just compassion. Jesus has to come closer than just saying, arise and get up. And Jesus does come closer. All right. Jesus becomes the one dead on the bier. Jesus becomes the one and only son who is sacrificed, who dies in our place, who is the one, very one judged for sin. So that we all, who should be dead, and who stand condemned, and the whole weight of God's judgment is against us, so that we might trade places with him.
the father. The father becomes the widowed woman who mourns his one and only son's death. All right, that is the, that is the compassion. That is the love of our great God. That is how, how close he comes to his people. That the sinless one would, would have all of sin paced upon him so that he might be sacrificed in our place. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He is building a world where sin is no more. He is building a world where all, every sin is paid for, where every judgment is no more, where every tear will be wiped away. Right? Are you looking to that Jesus? Are you looking to that Jesus? Are you proclaiming that Jesus? Are you delighting in that Jesus? When you have those moments when you are the, the weeping, mourning woman do you know that Jesus who has great compassion and who has power to save? When you are the one who is discouraged by all the suffering all around you, do you know that Jesus who can change it in a word? Or when you are that crowd that's supposed to be proclaiming all the joys in life, and do you proclaim Jesus? Do you know that he is the only one that you can proclaim? Or do we start proclaiming ourselves? or are we crushed by the weight of it? He is our great Savior. He is the great Deliverer. He is our great God. Now finally, all right, what's the result of all this? What's the result? Verse 16. Fear seizes them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. A God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea, and all of the surrounding country. All right, first thing to notice here, all of them. And that's where there's this, this crowd of death and sorrow, and they get completely swallowed up. And, and two crowds now become one. This is one crowd that has now become one single crowd of, of life and of joy and of proclamation of the glory of God. That is our great goal. Our goal is not to destroy the other crowd. Our goal is to, is to bring them among us and to transform them, the ones who also proclaim life and joy. All right. And what seizes them? Fear seizes them all. all right. Fear. That is the first result of all this. Now, some of we, we don't like that word. It's an interesting word here. That's the word. The word is fear. Because at this moment, uh, they realized that there is a God. And this God that they, they talk about and seems kind of fairy taleish and really far off, now he's real. And he's real and he is going to stand before each of us in our death. And he has the power to divide into eternal life 
or into eternal damnation. But that is now a, a crystal reality in their minds. And they fear because now they know that there is one who can turn all of their sorrows into joy. And that life is not as they thought they was, it was. That things can, can change in a flash. That there is this one who gives life and who takes it away. Has fear seized you? Do you know that reality? Has the, the truth of the, the reality that there is a God, has it seized you? That there is life after death, has that seized you? And has it changed the way you look at God and the way you look at life? This story should bring us great fear. Because we know that there is a God who we will stand before. Second, they cry out. They cry out in praise. Because yes, there is great fear, but this is a God who calls people to himself. And so they say, a great prophet has risen among us. All right, that's kind of an understatement, but that works. We'll take it. We'll take it. Yes, yes. There's this one who speaks for God, and he says, a right, like, We've seen some prophets do that. And so this is not a terrible conclusion. We saw Elijah do that last week. So, okay. But in the very least, does that make you then listen to Jesus? If he is this great prophet, if he does speak for the word of God, if he is able to raise the dead, do we listen to him? Do you listen to him when he says that to do things that don't seem to make sense in this world? Do we listen to him when he tells us to not weep or love our enemies or turn the other cheek to pick up our crosses to, to go into the world. Do you see how this calls us to listen to this Jesus? Are you willing to listen? What is he calling to you? What is he saying? Are you listening or not? They cried out, God has visited his people. All right, another understatement. All right, they think, okay, yeah, God, God is real, and God is working. And Jesus is God, and that's the, they don't get that yet. They'll see that with the final resurrection. But do you believe in a God who visits his people? Who really does change things? Who isn't just up in the sky doing the same thing every day? Do you think he really does intercede, that he loves his people, that he longs to turn their sorrows into joy? Who, who will incarnate and will take on sin and death for us? Do you see that in this story? Do you see this in your life? And finally, this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. If this story is real, it is a story worth telling. If you believe this story, this is something you're supposed to talk about. Because this is, this is a mere blip in a, a future of eternity. If you have seen Jesus, if you have found resurrection life, then we are called to speak of him and to proclaim him.
and to go and tell the story to people who are perishing and who are lost. Let us be the triumphal procession because we have this great Savior who has won the triumph in the cross and his resurrection. And we don't have to have all the answers. We just have to have Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you that he is God with us, Emmanuel. We thank you that he is the prophet who spoke words of grace and words of power. Father, we ask that we would join the triumphal procession, that we'd be among the crowd that follows Jesus, and Father, that we would be a people of great joy and of great faith and hope, not because we just are fools, but because we have a great Savior who is changing the world. Father, would you send us out proclaiming your word? Would you send us out um, with the aroma of Christ upon us that the world may know this one who saves, we pray in Christ's name.